trying to get our heads around a strange new championship for about the 20th time in this podcast's history. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 383 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm joined as usual in this uh, lockdown period by the wonders of the internet by Andres Bruckner. Hello, welcome. English Dan, Daniel Edwards. Hello and welcome. Tony. Hello. Who does not have a surname, at least on uh, Zoom. <laughs> And Santi nope. Balsa. <laughs> Hi guys, uh, pleasure to join you. Welcome back, chaps. First of all, an apology to our listeners. We did not record last week. Um, that was because I, I had a bit of work on at the start of the week. And by the time I realised it was already Thursday evening and didn't make much sense to record on Friday while there were games going on. But the incredibly prestigious, uh, very much not to be diminished, particularly in its image by not playing matches on uh, in, in empty stadiums. Um, Copa de la Liga Profesional de Football. I hope I've got all the words in the right order there because um, we're still getting used to this. Um, yes, I have. Excellent. Has begun. It kicked off on Friday and that means, of course, that I've got some results to tell you and those are... Gimnasia y Esgrima La Plata 3, Patronato 0 on Diego Maradona's birthday and Tacheres 3, Newell's Old Boys 1. Uh, on Saturday, the games were Aldo Civi 0, Estudiantes de La Plata 0, Vélez Sarsfield 1, Huracán 1, Argentinos Juniors 0, San Lorenzo 0 and Lanús 1, Boca Juniors 2. On Sunday, Defensa y Justicia 0, Colón 3, Union nil, Arsenal nil, Racing one, Atletico Tucumán four, um, and Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero nil, Independiente one. Uh, on Monday, Rosario Central got a 2-1 win at home to Godoy Cruz. And on Tuesday, in a match that was delayed due to reasons that we'll mention in just a minute, I imagine, um, River Plate were defeated at home in Independiente Stadium, 3-1 by Banfield. Um, we'll begin with the reason for that uh, delay to River versus Banfield. This was, um, I can't remember whether we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but certainly somebody, I think Liam Kelly, asked at some point where River were planning to play home games. And I can't remember whether we knew the situation then, but certainly by the time the league, st- the league the, this cup competition, I should say, started, uh, last week, River's plan was to play at River Camp, which is their training ground uh, in Ezeiza, out near the international airport. The president of the AFA, Claudio Tapia, visited on, I feel like I want to say Wednesday or Thursday last week, but it might have been Friday, and said, yep, this all looks great, everything's fine. They've got a pitch uh, there which matches the, uh, well, 
I don't know whether it matches the one that they've had torn up or whether it matches the one that they're getting put in or whether they're effectively the same pitch at the Monumental while the remodeling's going on. Um, so they, they are, from the point of view of a playing surface, they were fine. Um, the president of the AFA said it was all okay. And then on Saturday, I think it was, the day before the match, um, the organisers of the competition said, no, you can't do this. We've got to play in stadiums. We can't have the, the competition's reputation and image tarnished by playing in training grounds even though it was good enough for the Spanish league with Real Madrid's training grounds when they restarted after lockdown um, and so River had to scramble around and uh, were given a couple of days grace in the end to cut a rather long and tedious story short to find um, permission to play at Independiente's ground instead so presumably that's where they'll be playing their home matches going forward um, to use an office phrase that I don't particularly like, but there we go, I just did. Um, other matches, though, guys? Main talking points from the weekend, other than the prestigiousness of the Copa de la Liga Profesional? I think that uh, the, the fact that Colón and, and Gimnasia had won, uh, I, I think it explains uh, the, 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 this thing of the uh, not uh, relegated teams, uh, because I think they, they will play... And, and I think they they showed it uh, this uh, even when it was only one round, uh, some like uh, a different uh, approach to play these these matches. So Colón and, and Gimnasia both beat three nil. So I think it's even when uh, well I, I I don't think they will uh, finally end in a, a position to to fight for the title. But I think it explains this idea of not. Uh, uh, to play with no relegations. Yeah, those were the two. I've forgotten point. how many teams there were supposed to be relegated, but certainly both of those teams were in the relegation zone when everything got cut, weren't they? Oh, uh, I don't blame you if you don't remember. I don't blame you if you don't remember, Sam, because that number was constantly changing every now and then. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, certainly they're, they're, they're going to be playing with some renewed hope and with a lot of pressure off, of course, because... As, as you mentioned, Andres, there, there aren't going to be any relegations at the end of this, which makes sense given that it's a cup competition and not a league competition. Uh, I imagine we'll have to remind ourselves of that fact a few times in the next couple of weeks, but it is uh, the AFA designated it as a cup, so the winners don't get to call themselves champions of Argentina. I'm sure that won't stop them from doing so, um, but they don't go down in the record books. Um, now, I must admit that I didn't see an awful lot of the games. I didn't catch either of the two on Friday night, which were the two that produced between them seven goals. Um, and I then had to wait really until Lanús versus Boca on Saturday before I saw anything approaching um, a decent match of football. Um, and on Sunday, it was fairly slim pickings as well. But Boca-Lanús was, I suppose, unsurprisingly, given the identities of the teams, um, I thought one of the, the best matches, if not the best match of the weekend. The site for the Sand of God, right? Pepe Sands equaliser with his hands. Indeed. Yes. Pepe Hand. Pepe Hand, Sand of God, Hand of Pod, Hand of Pepe, whatever you want to go for. I'm happy with any of those definitions. I must admit, did I watch the game or I think this is one I kind of like had in, in the background while people were screaming at me and I was doing other stuff. So I don't feel like I appreciated it that much, but, uh, but yeah, that's all I've got to say about it really. Cause I can remember 
absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, there was um, a Tay Say, I think it was, wasn't it? Somebody shared the article on our on our WhatsApp group saying that Sand had uh, become the oldest goal scorer in the history of Argentine football, which isn't true um, because Gomito Gomez scored for Nueva Chicago in the second division when he was a couple of years older, uh, just a year or two ago. Um, but and wasn't he wasn't he older than wasn't he older than Sand when he scored in top flight as well, or uh, Sand did break that record? Well, in top flight competitions, if we call this one a, a top flight competition, even though it isn't the league because it's only open to teams who are in the first division, um, I think he has broken the record. If this were a league match, then he would have broken the record held by Angel Labruna. Um, but as it's not a league match, Sand, unfortunately, we, we all have to keep our fingers crossed and hope that he's going to continue playing uh, until the new league season begins in 2021 and then scoring that. Because, uh, as I think I mentioned this time last year or something, if any league goal scored after mid-September this year for him would see him take that, that top-flight record. Um, but this isn't, oh, this isn't the league. So. so he will have to... Keep handballing and see if, if he breaks the record. Yeah, see whether he can punch any more in. Um, Carlos Tebes opened the scoring uh, for Bock after 19 minutes before Sand got a, a controversial, as we've already hinted at, equaliser, uh, which was not spot. Well, it was spotted, but the handball part of it wasn't spotted, which was the uh, crucial bit because he just punched the ball into the net. Uh, five minutes later, Ramon Abila put Boca ahead quite early in the second half. Um, and it was, you know, from, from there on in, it, it was fairly decent stuff. I thought the Boca were worth the, the, the win in the end. It was a fairly solid performance. So I guess not that much of a surprise given that they've had a bit more um, competitive playing time, obviously below, um, un got that under their belts. Uh, Lanús, of course, did get going in the Copa Sudamericana, and we will be talking about the Copa Sudamericana in a little while but Boca have had the benefit of the uh, Libertadores group stages. But overall, a decent start for them. Um, and of course, another team who had the benefit of the Libertadores group stages to get warmed up were River. We've talked about the, the delay to the match, but we haven't actually talked about the match that much. Um, it was pretty poor. I, I'm guessing you're going to agree, Andres. Yes, yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we, it was one of the poorest games since Cachardo is the coach of River, but uh, we have to mention both things that River weren't good and, and Manfield uh, just played their perfect match with uh, not, give, not giving River uh, the possibility to play they are used to. And of, uh, when they had the ball, they were quite fast, especially in attack with Cuero, who was, I think he, he played his best match at Manfield. Uh, and uh, with some kids that they showed they were capable of doing uh, of running the 90 minutes, like like uh, Fontana, the, the the scorer of the equalizer, uh, and then then Pachero is another guy who, who well, I think he he shot the free kick for the second goal, who was headed by Giuliano Galopo, mm. uh, and yes, River weren't, uh, uh, we didn't have the fluency that usually has with the ball, and and marking very very poorly. Uh, I think that Martinez Cuarta, at least, it's too early to to say this, but. Uh, Rio will miss him uh, too much. Um, Paulo Diaz wasn't, I think, the the the, the, the ideal. Uh, I I I really thought it would be Robert Rojas, the one who will replace 
Martínez Puerta, finally Gallardo uh, decided to put uh, uh, Pablo Díaz in. Um, and well, uh, last, last night, uh, sorry, uh, Tuesday uh, was just creep, uh, a crap and, and, and uh, Pinola and him couldn't cope to, to, to try to, well, uh, defend uh, in, in a solid way and, and well, uh, Banfield took, took uh, his chances and I think he, he finally won this early. Uh, he, uh, I, um, even when they, they started losing when, with the goal of uh, Santos Borré, uh, I think they were uh, better in the, uh, almost all the match and, and I think it was deserved for them. Yeah, the Giuliano Galoppo, incidentally, has to be one of my favourite names to say yeah. in Argentine football this year. Um, thoroughly entertaining. I can't believe we haven't mentioned him before. Just purely for that reason, not because he's looked particularly outstanding before this match. Um, <laughs> but I'm sorry, Gallardo said something like I don't really like, which is that, uh, well, he didn't say it in, in that way, but I think in the, in, uh, uh, if you read uh, between lines, uh, he tried to, to say so, which is that the, the players were not focused because all of this thing of the river camp and, and, and they, finally they had to play again at, at the independent stadium and uh, well that's something you uh, that if you are a, a river player you these things uh, should happen to you but uh, well it happened I think that that helped for them not to be concentrated and, and that's no no good of course maybe he's trying to get pressure off from the players yes like I think that these things when you are uh, you have some uh, disadvantages or difficulties you have to take it on your own, or, or in your favor. And I, I remember, I think that uh, Bianchi was the one who in the final of the Copa Libertadores uh, 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 um, 2000, that uh, I think he sticked in the, in the, in the dressing rooms, uh, uh, phrases that uh, Scolari had said, he was the coach of Palmeiras, saying that we, we, we will win the, the Copa Libertadores and we have already won. Uh, and, and I think that Bianchi sticks that paper, the, the piece of news in, in the dressing rooms and the players, the, the Boca players took it uh, as something for them to, to be even to be more, more eager, even more eager to win. And well, these things I think that uh, should work like that, not, to, uh, not for you to be unfocused, but just to take it and, and, and to try to be better. But well, it doesn't work for River and, 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 and also it, apart from that, they played poorly and, 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 and that's a, a something that Banfield provoked but well uh, I think that everything helped for River not to be as good as it as they used to be. Yeah and I mean, when River did manage to fashion a breakthrough as well they were met uh, they came up against Mauricio Arboleda who had a, a really good game. Um, I, I only realized during this match that he, he strikes me as a player who I, I seem to think towards the beginning of each season uh, that he's been involved in for Argentine football. I'm trying to work out how long he's been with Banfield now. Um, he, he seems to start really well. Like he'll have a, a couple of really eye-catching games early on. Apparently he joined Banfield in 2015 or 16. 15. So he's come through into the first team since 2016. Um, and... Uh, and then sort of fade a little bit and, and get a bit less impressive as the season's gone on. But I've just looked at his, his bio. He's only 24, so he's got plenty of time to 
um, to improve. I thought it was a bit older than that. Um, but yeah, decent performance. Congratulations, um, Banfield. I'm now trying to go through my mental list of who we've got here and more to the point of um, how long I want to uh, leave Dan stewing before he can release by venting about Racing's performance. Um, so I think we're going to go to Santi next and ask him what he thought of Independiente's uh, scintillating 1-0 win over Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero. Um, it was liquid football, wasn't it, Santi? <laughs> Yeah, uh, Johan Cruyff is smiling wherever he is at this moment as I talk because, um, yeah, okay, let's not sugarcoat it anymore. It was uh, one of the most uh, dreadful and um, one of the most dreadful eyesores I've ever seen <laughs> in a football pitch. Um, to be honest, Independiente's um, squad was, um, there was a lot of rotation in it because, of course, Independiente have their focus into the, the Copa Sudamericana matchup um, between them and Atletico Tucumán. Therefore, the, the starting lineup um, that went um, against Central Córdoba was mostly comprised of um, the Pibes. And those that were um, demanded very vocally by the fans uh, at the end of last year, if I if I remember clearly, uh, and before Pusineri was was appointed, in fact. But um, to be honest, I expected quite a bit more. I think there were some glimpses of quality from some individual performers, uh, particularly um, Chaco Martinez. Who, who had a couple, yeah, a couple nice plays, but the collective performance was absolutely dreadful. The defensive line was really all over the place. The, um, there was virtually no mo no moment of uh, of consistent ball carrying from any team. But it's clear that Central Córdoba had the most chances. In fact, in the rain, they barely managed to 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 shoot at all. Um, Tony has just shown me the statistic that there were only four shots for Independiente, of which one only one was uh, at goal, which is, uh, to be honest, over 90 minutes, uh, a pretty dreadful statistic. And that, uh, one, that one wasn't even the shot that produced the goal, because the only goal of, of the course. game came from, funnily enough, a former Independiente striker, Claudio Reano, who scored an own goal. Uh, yeah, quite uh, early people on, were like that he was, people, Yeah, uh, people were joining that he, that was his first goal for Independiente. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think if there's anyone who actually ended the game with his stock much higher, it is uh, goalkeeper Seba Sosa, uh, who was well mostly notorious because of his uh, resemblance to um, um, Ryan Reynolds from Deadpool and uh, his tattoo of this big lion in his bald head but he actually had a very very good performance he saved some clear chances from uh, Central Córdoba and basically if it wasn't for him um, they could have gone 2 or 3 nil up but uh, at the end of the day it's 3 points for Independiente it's most of the most of the the first team uh, squad has been rested and now Independiente have to travel to Tucumán to defend their 1-0 lead with, with most of their starting lineup rested and eager to, to join the game in a few hours as we speak. 
I think as far as Independiente go and as bad as things get, they do have a good eye for a goalkeeper, right? Because I can't remember many bad Independiente goalkeepers, apart from maybe Russo Rodriguez, who was perhaps an anom- anomaly. But over the years, they, they've got pretty good taste in goalkeepers, I must, I must admit. Yeah, going back to Ustari, back in 2000, all the way back in 2005, I think... Uh, Independiente have had a long string of very good goalkeepers. At, the, at first, um, they came through the youth ranks, and um, they've also um, acquired a taste to sign goalkeepers as well. Um, let's not forget Fabian that. Fabian Asman, uh, of course. The, yeah, the brilliant, Asman. the best name in, in football. <laughs> yeah, Tim Windas runs in close. Uh, and Caracoche as well, another Independiente youth product. But... Uh, but yeah, and let's not forget that Independiente's uh, third-choice goalkeeper at the moment is the starting goalkeeper for the Uruguay in the 20s, uh, Renzo Vakia, who's long been uh, poised to make his mark at uh, Independiente's first team, but hasn't had the chance yet. But I think the sooner, sooner or later he might as well get the number one spot for, for the club and continue that uh, long tradition of pretty decent keepers. Yeah, I remember in the build-up to the 2010 World Cup, that Independiente, they had three goalkeepers who were all like being talked about, at least by different people, as potentially getting the third-choice goalkeeper spot at the World Cup. Obviously, that was under Maradona's management, which throws a bit of a wild yeah. card into the... Yeah, actually, Gabriel in the run, uh, eventual third-choice keeper, Diego Pozo, pretty close, I remember. He, he had a, a very good 2009-2010 season. Yeah, I think I think Asman might have been one of the others, and I can't remember who the third one was. But anyway, um, Hilario Navarro, perhaps. Ah, that rings a bell. Yes, it could. could Gabardini, be. I think it was Adrian Gabardini. Yeah, Gabardini. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, moving on now, Dan in the cylindro. I have to admit, I didn't actually catch this game, but I am imagining um, that you're going to be. More than happy to tell us uh, how, how things went between the two sky blue and white striped clubs. The Twins, yes, absolutely. Um, it was a very strange game if you, if you watched it live. Just absolute, an absolute free-for-all all the, way, all the way through. Like There was no defence to speak of on the Racing side and only a little bit more on the, on the Atletico side. And they just peppered each other with shots. I think there was almost 40 over the, over the 90 minutes. So definitely a little bit more entertaining than, than Independiente's game. Uh, and it basically was the culmination of everything that kind of threatened to go wrong for, for Rassi since they've, they've come back from lockdown. Because we saw it in the Copa a lot there, Libertadores. Uh, Rassi are a team that get to the opposition area a lot. They, they kind of have a lot of let's call them pre-chances, let's say, you know, possession around the area and looking to break in, but they haven't quite been taking their chances or they haven't quite been, been creating as clear chances as, as their dominance would suggest. And at the other end, they've been given the opposition chances to score on a regular basis. Um, I think they got away with it in the Libertadores because um, Alianza Lima, Estudiantes de Merida were shipped. And Nacional weren't really that much better, so so their mistakes weren't punished. But but they absolutely were against Atletico, who also rested quite a few players because um, because of their commitments in their Sudamericana uh, against Independiente, of course. Um, 
they even rested the venerable Christian Lucchetti to bring in a keeper who I've never heard of in my life. Uh, Thomas, Thomas Marciori. Yep. So. Um, who proceeded to pull off some fantastic saves and basically do what all Zielinski team keepers do when they come to El Cilindro. Uh, Zielinski is a guy who always does well in El Cilindro, except when he was Racing's coach. So it wasn't really much of a surprise to see him give us a torrid afternoon um, back on Sunday. Uh, and yeah, not really much more to say about it. Um, Rustin's defence was an absolute disaster. Every time Atletico pushed forwards, there were big holes, holes in the defence. There were there were chances being created, and I mean, you get the feeling that this cup isn't going to be at all a priority for Racing because um, the Libertadores is going to be absolutely the one to watch, but. If you play like that against Flamengo, you're going to concede eight or nine. And I don't want to concede eight or nine, to be honest. So, must do better is my damning conclusion on that game. That sounds fair to me. And I'm not going to blame you for not having heard of Marciori because he appears to be on loan at Atletico Tucumán from Gimnasia y Esgrima de Mendoza. Um, ah, of course. Oh. Gimnasia Esgrima de Mendoza is Marciori. If, if Sofa Score has got this right, then he's on loan at Atletico Tucumán until the end of next year, uh, which yeah. is an interesting arrangement for a 25-year-old goalkeeper. But anyway, there we go. Um, I'm guessing that's got something to do with Atletico Tucumán being skint and not being able to afford actual signings. So yeah, uh, I think that's what we've seen that a lot this um, this winter in the in the transfer period. Clubs just looking for loans, looking for, for kind of expired contracts, and not. Or free wanting to yeah. spend any money. Frugality, yeah. yes. And potentially the lower league uh, teams being grateful to be able to get some wages off their books, even though it, there's no yeah, absolutely. transfer and I'm sure necessarily coming in. And I'm sure there's some sort of fee, even if it's a loan, because yeah. there often is in these kind of deals. Uh, Tony, moving on to your team now. How, yes. What did you make of Union against Arsenal? Uh, it, this was another one I didn't catch, but just looking at the raw numbers, it looks like Union were a little bit unlucky not to win it. Um, how to put it? I'm a little bit disappointed, but I'm more disappointed uh, regarding Ascon Saval. Not that I expected a lot. <laughs> I mean, the the bar was that low. Um, and I think that the, the team really doesn't play it. Really for, for, well. the benefit, um, for the benefit of our listeners, would you like to clarify who Ascon Saval is? Yeah, I, I mean, he's, he's the new... I doubt that we did mention all of the comings and goings uh, okay. over there. Yeah, so when the when um, the the previous tournament, uh, previous iteration of the tournament was uh, going to the Copa de la Superliga, Madelon said that he will stop being the Union manager, so or coach or head coach or whatever you want to call it, and obviously that didn't come to. Uh, a rightful send off for uh, a high regard ex player and now uh, ex manager. Um, and now Ascon Saval, that was uh, in Chile, if I'm not wrong, um, take uh, charge of the team. And well, he only has so far two, two games, uh, about to be three in 20 minutes, and they don't play well at all. 
um, I see a lot. I see a lot of frustrations on on the players, um, but also I don't think he he still he he does have an idea of how the team wants to play. It's a little bit too defensive, and Union only had a couple of chances when they decided or had the belief they could win the game. Because yeah, I mean you look at the rough numbers and you see a lot of or more shots, more shots on target for Union, but the only uh, actual chance in the box came from a, a header that was wasn't really um, that dangerous. Uh, the only chances came from Carabajal on a one-on-one and a free kick from Galvan that uh, the Arsenal goalkeeper um, saved uh, really well. Uh, so made him the the start of of the game. But overall, I think Daniel was more or less justified. I didn't think that Union deserved to win. Uh, and I really not not very hopeful for the game in 20 minutes against Emelec in, in the second uh, leg of the Sudamericana. Thanks, Tony. Uh, Andres has done some fine detective work to track down the uh, origins of the tattoo that was mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, on the back of Sebastian Sosa's head, the new Independiente goalkeeper. Andres, have you still got that that page open? Would you like to tell us what it says? Yes, apparently it has to do with uh, apparently the goal uh, in Spanish. Uh, they say that when Sebastian Sosa had coronavirus and when uh, he was ill, uh, his hair just fell off. And after that, he decided to use his head as a, a tattoo holder and uh, well that's why he decided and, and of course the lion means uh, a lot like uh, fighting and all that stuff but apparently it was that the reason that he decided to tattoo uh, his head with the lion because of, uh, after suffering coronavirus he well uh, he decided uh, that after his hair, hair, hair fell off He's, uh, I think he's also a lion in his zodiac sign. A Leo, sorry. Yeah. Ah, that's what he means by it's my sign, yes. Um, yes. It, it's a, a side effect of coronavirus that I had not previously heard about. Um, and just makes yeah, me that's, that's hope weird. even that's more. One, that's a new one on me, I must admit. Unless he means it messes with your head and thinks a lion ta- makes you think a lion tattoo would be a good idea. But I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe that as well. Either way, it makes me want to not catch it even more, as if that were possible. Um, (laughs) Okay, moving on to other results we've covered. I'm trying to work out who's left of the big five. San Lorenzo we haven't talked about yet. Um, And in fact, I don't know how much there is to say because Argentinos versus San Lorenzo was not a a classic. San Lorenzo was slightly fortunate, perhaps, to escape with the nil-nil draw that they did from La Paternal. Um, but Argentinos didn't really deserve that much more. I don't know whether anyone else has anything to add. I shall take that as a no. Um, I mean, if, if you're the only team in the round that didn't have a shot on target, you probably deserve to lose. Oh, well spotted. Yeah, I, I forgot, Tony, that you've been doing a bit of research. Did you find any other good stats from the weekend just gone? Um, not very much. I mean, m- mostly I'm a little bit surprised in a way that 
most of the teams doesn't do um, are not very effective on on possession based attacks, which is a little bit surprising in a way. Uh, but also, it tells you that most of the teams focus their attacks and their training in set pieces, which are a lot better compared to I don't know, Brazilian league or European leagues. Uh, that caught my eye really quickly. And yeah, I mean, mostly the, the, the expected goals sometimes are a little wonky and are fun to watch, like the one from Independiente. Sorry, Santi. And Colón, for example, scored three goals from point eight, which is also a little bit interesting to to check out. And yeah, that, that basically, not, not many shots on target. I mean, no, no team got more than 10 even or even close to 10, even if the overall shots sometimes get to 18, uh, 15, 16, for example. So there's a lot of inaccuracy at the moment in the league. That will be my quick take. Thanks, Tony. Sorry, is this, is this real data in Hand of Pod? Our listeners are going to be furious. This is not what they signed up for. They no, it might not be. Half-ass comments and opinions. If, if Tony's going to actually go to the <laughs> trouble... Risk. If Tony's going to go to actually go to the trouble of collating some some stuff before recording, then I, I want to make sure he gets to use it at least. Um, I'm joking, so much. I can I, I can I can take some some belts to the for myself, like hitting myself on a, with a belt in, in punishment. <laughs> Don't worry, Dan. Excellent, good. That sounds like a fair compromise. I will not go through the group standings at the moment because there's no point because everybody's only played one game. I'll, I'll perhaps do that after the second game um, next week. Uh, so for now, we will take a half-time break and um, take the opportunity to relieve ourselves and, and make ourselves comfortable again. And when we get back, we will talk about the Copa Sudamericana matches that have happened. The, some of the ties have already been completed. And as Santi mentioned, one or two of them involving Argentine sides uh, are going to be completed shortly after we record. Um, and we will also cover some other stuff, including a trip to the hospital. So don't go away. Welcome back, everybody. Um, first of all, we shall cover the medical drama um, to rival all medical dramas. Diego Maradona, just for a change, has gone into hospital. It's one of his favourite things to do when there's nothing else happening in his life. Um, and uh, has been reported as being okay now. Surgery's gone well. Am I right here? <coughs> Yeah, apparently he was um, operated on due to a blood clot in his head. Um, as far as the the doctor, his personal doctor, uh, who's finally named Leopoldo Luque after the 1978 World Cup winner, um, he told us he's fine. He told us apparently that he he is about to, to be discharged, but he did tell us the same thing back when we didn't know that he had this blood clot and then um, he surprised he surprised 
uh, he surprises us immediately afterwards by telling us that he has he was knitting um, what was what he said like um, routine surgery from a blood from a blood blood clot. So to be completely honest, um, if he tells me he's fine, I can't quite believe him. But um, unless we know otherwise, apparently his uh, Maradona's daughters have said he the operation went well. Um, so he should be be he should be discharged uh, in the next couple of days, I assume. Just out of interest, Santi, when you say that his doctor is named after the 1978 World Cup winner, do you mean literally? It's not just a coincidence that they have that name. That that is why his parents chose to name him. Leopold. They share the same name. Not, I don't think he was actually oh, okay. named after him. I just wanted to check because um, we all found it no, very amusing is, when we found out, and that would have just made it even funnier. Um, Sam, actually, I, th- I think I think you might be you might be right about that because he's 39 years old. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, he was born after the 1978 very, World Cup. Exactly. He's born after the 1978 World Cup and around the time of uh, River's uh, glorious, I think it was La Bruna's team, if I'm not wrong. So uh, he might as well have been named after the Puerto Rican. We'll have to find <laughs> out who his, who his parents support. Clearly the most after... important of this, uh, of this story, this, the most important aspect. Oh yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, all, how many, I'm disappointed how many, in the state of Argentine football journalism. If nobody has thought to ask How many years do you know um, that are called Leopoldo? After all, indeed, yeah. uh, a couple. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, it's, it's better Leopoldo than Jacinto, I think. But true, very true. Yeah. yeah so to give a little bit of background on this, uh, Maradona. Um, uh, turned 60 last Friday. Uh, Gimnasio also played on Friday. Uh, they kicked off the Copa Liga Profesional. Uh, they had a big birthday party, um, you know, within the constraints of uh, lockdown and whatnot. Prepared for Diego uh, at Gimnasio Stadium. Chiqui Tapia was there. Marcelo Tinelli, the, the new league president, was there. He kind of shuffled on. He could barely walk. Uh, he was helped, you know, by two... By two of his aides to even get out on the pitch, it was all kind of fairly um, upsetting uh, to watch. You know, uh, he didn't seem to have much idea what was going on, and he was was then taken out of the stadium before before the game kicked off. Um, he, he didn't stay to watch Gimnasio win three 0 and then I think it was either Monday or Tuesday he he first checked into the the clinic in La Plata. The, Reports there were that he was kind of in a very, very negative um, kind of psychological state. He might have been suffering from depression, you know, as a result of of everything that's happened over the last six months, kind of the confinement and and whatnot. And then it ultimately uh, emerged on Wednesday. I remember that um, you know, in the course of these. Um, the medical tests he'd taken that he'd undergone in the clinic. They found this um, this blood clot on his brain, and he was he was going straight into surgery. He was taken from La Plata to Olivos, so kind of from the very very um, southern edge of the Buenos Aires La Plata conglomeration to the northern side. Um, a lot of Gimnasia fans turned out to see him off, lit flares, and started banging on the ambulance, which obviously was um was in, 
appropriate behavior for someone um, on their way to, um, to the operating theater. Um, and I'm guessing, you know, obviously it's a serious operation. You got to do it. But when they say routine, it would be in the sense that, you know, it's something that they detected in the course of their, their exams and not something that had to be carried out as a matter of urgency because he collapsed or because he was on death's door, if that, if that makes sense. Um, that's how I understood when, uh, when Luke is, is Dr. Seb routine. Um, yeah, all indications suggest that he, he came through it all right. He's making a recovery. I don't think we should be expecting him back on the bench for gymnasia anytime soon. And kind of in the background, in the meantime, uh, new conflict is, well, new, um, very much in inverted commas, uh, has sprung up between Maradona's family, his daughters, and his inner circle, as people like to say. Uh, basically, his daughter saying that guys like Matias Morla, who's uh, Maradona's agent and um, lawyer, and lawyer, and a couple of the other guys, you know, you know, whenever you see Maradona, he's always got three or four hangers on around him. They're basically taking advantage of him. Uh, they're pushing him to do things like what he had to do on Friday at the Gimnasia game where he turned up, you know, wearing a NPF, uh, the, the state petroleum company shirt for a bit of advertising. And, and he clearly wasn't in a fit state to be making public appearances. Uh, I think uh, Dalma Maradona, the, the phrase she used was bloodsuckers. Uh, so that's something that's going to rumble for a few weeks now while, while Maradona continues his recovery and pretty much to ensure that even if we don't see him, he will, in fact, remain in the public eye. Um, so, yeah, I think we can all hope he makes a rapid recovery and that he just takes fucking care of himself because, um, you know, obviously only knowing what I've heard from the outside, it does seem that he could do with someone to just say, look, just take it easy, mate. You're not in the best of health and, and it's, yeah, just stay in bed and, and drink tea. Yeah. Uh, there was also a little bit of fuss about the, the way his family were coming to visit him in hospital and just coming in and out as if there was not a pandemic going on. Yeah. Um, but that's something that I guess they can get away with because they're the closest thing Argentina has to royalty. Apart exactly. from Queen Maxima was... of the Netherlands, who is actual royalty, obviously. But Yeah, and there was a bit of fuss as well about apparent rumours that uh, they were going to ask for, um, for Maradona's power of attorney, because which would kind of imply that he's, um, he's not in his right mind, he hasn't got all his faculties, and they came out and denied that afterwards, saying, now this is another piece of bullshit which has been made up by the media who also love to suck Maradona's blood and, and you know get every single Maradona story they can out of him so yeah as I say a lot of sides to this and not something that paints many people in a particularly positive light not Maradona not his inner circle or or really the press from how they've been covering it. No indeed we shall move on to the Sudamericana I'm not going to read out uh, the results of every single match that's been played since we last recorded, because we've been here for a very, very long time indeed. Um, but I will read out the results um, of the ones that involve Argentine sides. Those were, first of all, 
last week, I've got that right, haven't I? Yes. Last week, the first legs, uh, Sportivo Luqueño 1, Defensa Justicia 2, Lanús 3, Sao Paulo 2, Vélez Sarsfield 0, Peñarol 0, uh, Union 0, Emelec 1, Independiente 1, Atlético Tucumán 0 in the All-Argentine tie. Uh, that was that was it in the first legs, I think. It's a bit hard to tell the way that this app is laying things out, but I think that's all of them. Um, and then in the second legs, Defensa y Justicia 1, Sportivo Luqueño 1, uh, which means that Defensa y Justicia go through 3-2 on aggregate. Um, San Paulo 4, Lanús 3. This one we do just want to take a minute about because uh, Lanusa's third goal came from Nicolas Orsini three minutes into stoppage time uh, after Lanusa had been thoroughly under the cosh for the whole second half. And of course, what it did was it made the aggregate score 6-6 and meant that Lanus went through on away goals. And it also made, made me rather smug because you might remember if you listened to our episode of two weeks ago, Thunderbolt 382, uh, that I was mocking the Fox Sports commentators for suggesting that Sao Paulo would be favourites for the Copa Sudamericana uh, because they were pretty crap in the Libertadores group stage. And sure enough, they've gone out, admittedly by a very, very narrow margin, but they've gone out of the Sudamericana at the first time of asking. Um, particularly heartbreaking for Sao Paulo, though, because the two goals to put them 4-2 ahead and 6-5 and ahead on aggregate came in the 87th and 89th minutes. Um, so they really thought that they had the tie won at that point and then uh, up popped Torsini to lose it for or to win it for Lanus I should say not really to lose it for them um, Peñarol versus Vélez Sarsfield was scarcely less dramatic because there were two goals in stoppage time one for each side Thiago Almada scored a penalty after 93 minutes and Cristian Rodriguez scored a penalty after 96 minutes and Fabian Estoshanov was then sent off from the bench um, that meant that Vélez went through 1-1, uh, went through on away goals after a 1-1 aggregate draw. Um, right now, I've just seen that Union are currently leading after 24 minutes away to Emelec. Uh, the first leg of that one having finished 1-0 to Emelec. So that's 1-1 on aggregate at the moment. I'll let you know later how it finishes. And then the other score that you'll hear at the very end of the podcast after the theme music, if you hang around for long enough, is Atletico Tucumán versus Independiente. I'll let you know how that one turns out as well. Um, anything to, to add regarding the, the matches themselves last week or this week, gents? It's incredible to think that um, we still have a game that includes Fabian Estoyanov and Cebolla Rodriguez in 2020. Yeah, amazing. Uh, they're both getting on a bit, at least, aren't they? <laughs> Actually, I've just realised I can look them up because I've got them here on the, on the app. Cristian Rodriguez is now... 35 years old. Yeah. He's just turned 35. He's there or thereabouts. Uh, Estoshanov is 38. Yeah. Um, so he is really going some. Uh, he's been with. He's been back in Uruguay for quite a while now. Um, so yeah, there we go. So that's the situation with the Sudamericana. What we do already know is that in the eighths of final, um, or the last 16, as normal people call them, uh, Defensa Justicia. <laughs> will play Vasco da Gama, Lanús will play Bolívar, Vélez Sarsfield will play Deportivo Cali. Uh, those are the, the six ties 
That, that, that's not just the ones that we know about with the Argentine ties. That's all of the, the ties that we know so far. Um, so I will, uh, well, we'll fill you in next week or whenever we get a gap between um, to, to let you know what the next stage is looking like in full. But those are the ties as they are settled at the moment. Um, anything else to add, gents, before we move on to listeners' questions? All I'll say is that the Peñarol Vélez site was 180 minutes of dreadful soporific football, uh, followed by two minutes of actual entertainment, which, you know, made it interesting in some way. Yeah, I um, watched a fair bit of the first leg and then didn't bother watching the second leg because of just how bad the first leg was. As a result of which, Dan, I, I now have to ask you, was there any controversy over the two penalties or, or were they both fine and just happened to come very close together? They were fairly no, um, they were fairly undisputed. Um, what was a little bit controversial is that just before the Vélez penalty, Peñarol did have a good shout for, for a penalty which was waved away. So that was a little bit of controversy. Uh-huh. I can't remember if it was a penalty or not, but... but Peñarol felt a little bit aggrieved for that reason. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, the listeners' question section is sponsored by Hand of Pod on Patreon. Uh, may as well try and get the plug in there somehow, seamlessly. Um, if you want to support us with some of your lovely, lovely money, then you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Hand of Pod, and you can opt to give us... Uh, I've changed the currency on the donations recently, um, so you can opt to give us either £1.50, £4 or £80 each month in return for which you get a cascading tier of lovely um, rewards, basically extra content and or sponsorship of the show. Uh, so head over there, patreon.com slash handapod and you get an extra episode which we record after each and every one of these normal ones and occasional other goodies. The, the occasional goodies will go back to being regular extra goodies once uh, things start to settle down a bit again but I mean God knows when that'll be so we'll see um, it seems more more uh, uh, before that we think of because apparently tomorrow they're going to be announced that football theatres and whatnot is going to be back in the city so oh I'm a side football yes thank God for that my stomach can't my belly can't um, expand any further <laughs> they, have they officially let public transport back yet now, by the way? Or is it just that everybody's ignoring the regulations on that one? I Pass. chose option B. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the impression yeah. I got. Just If they're going to allow the theatres to open up again, then presumably they're going to have to do something about actually legitimately allowing people to get to the theatres if they don't have cars. But anyway... Um, on to listeners' questions. Jason Longshaw says, what was your biggest surprise in week one of the Copa Liga Profesional de Football? I think... River. Yeah, I'm going to go for Riva. Given um, what Dan mentioned about how the Racing performance and result to an extent was was uh, already written before the event, like it was obviously it was going to happen to them at some point, I would probably go for Riva. Although I did find it interesting... Um, I can't remember who said it earlier. I think it was Santi uh, mentioned that there's been, or it might have been Tony, mentioned there's been a, f- a clear focus by the teams um, on set pieces. And Banfield's first, was it their first two goals or was it the first and third? Came from, from first two set goals, pieces, yeah. which, which has been Rivers' notable weak point for really a couple of years. And they haven't seemed to do anything over lockdown to, to sort it out. 
Um, yes, the, but, yeah. the third goal was the third was was a goal was all all by River, River the Pinola and, and Pablo Diaz doing well, the impossible things in order to to for Banfield to to score. Uh, oh, of course, yeah, that was the the comical own goal at the end of a fairly yeah. decent counter attack for Banfield, wasn't it? Um, so I think we'd all agree that it was that one. Uh, on that topic, ex perfect Tommy asks, "How on earth did River lose to Banfield?" I, I think I'll probably just explain that one actually, combined with that comical third goal. Um, El Bastarol, who says, to spare you my new name, keep calling me Little Bird if you want, says, am I the only one that finds it weird that River are rumoured to be thinking of renting Platense's stadium, given that River have a friendly relationship with Defensores de Belgrano? I had assumed that Defe were the first choice in the second tier. Yeah, that's Andres? what... Anybody else want yeah, to? I think it's only... I, I didn't hear, hear anything of that, but... It was uh, when when River wasn't allowed to play in the River Camp. Of course, there were a lot of of, of stadiums that they even offered, of course, because of the money. Huracan uh, was said, Vélez also, but uh, defensive um, defensive de Belgrano and Platense, I think they were not an option uh, because uh, Gallardo was uh, quite uh, uh, happy with the the, the the conditions of the pitch at Independiente Stadium, and they had already played there. So that's I think they they decided to. To play there, and I, I I don't know whether for the rest of the of the of the matches for Liga Profesional for the Copa de la Liga Profesional where will they will play, but I, I don't think Platense or Defensa or the Defensores are, are are an option really. Okay, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, Jamie says Newells have just released their fifth official shirt of 2020. Do other clubs in Argentina do this, or is it only La Lepra who choose to follow this? Admittedly, rather successful because they all sell out economic policy. Um, certainly, we do tend to get a lot of shirt releases here. And the thing that I always notice, I don't count necessarily how many there are, but they're all staggered. So you don't get like just the different versions of, of the first shirt and the change shirt and the, the third shirt all released at the beginning of the season. They'll be released at various points during the year, which is really, it, it gets quite confusing when you start to sit down and go, right, so what was, you know, Banfield's shirt collection for the 2014-15 season? That wasn't a thing, was it? The 2015 season. And it changes part of the way through, so it's quite difficult to, to work out what the current model is at any one point. Um, gents, can you think of yeah, anything? Yeah, I, I remember there was, I think it was in 2018 that Independiente released six different shirts I think there was the um, the the no, the normal three for the 2018-19 season, but before that there was the limited edition Todo Rojo shirt, and then there was the um, the 1948 um, 70-year uh, anniversary of that title, which was like a shirt, like a buttoned-up shirt, and then there was another one which I can't quite recall which one. Ah, yes, the the cancer awareness. A pink shirt as well, so that makes a total of six shirts released in all of 2018. I don't know if there there might be some teams that have released more, maybe some special edition for the for Sudamericano Libertadores, maybe. But uh, I remember perhaps 2018 as the year with the most, as far as I can recall. Well, we're on this topic, by the way. Argentinos shirt, as I mentioned on our WhatsApp group during the match, is just gorgeous and I really hope that they release a red version of it as well because uh, I, I love it 
Ah, yes, that's a nice one too. I have not been counting how many they've released this year. Um, Liam Kelly says, oh, that's a reply to uh, whoever it was who asked how River managed to lose. River's enemy has been defending set pieces. Javier Pinola had a nightmare against uh, Mauricio Cuero. Banfield deserved the win. Um, that's it. Those are all the listeners' questions we've had. So I think that all that remains now is for me to tell you exactly what's going to happen in the Copa de la Liga Profesional de Football this coming weekend. It is after, God, how many months? Eight? After eight months, it's the return of Mystic Sam. I can't believe it. Whoa. This is history in the making. Okay, we begin on Friday uh, with Patronato versus Huracan. Uh, This is the first time I'm seeing any of these fixtures, by the way, and I've already forgotten what the results from the first round of matches were. But I will go for a draw in that one. Argentinos Juniors versus Aldo Civi, I think will be... Oh, that's the second consecutive game at home for Argentinos. I think that they'll get the win there, Argentinos. On Saturday, Banfield play Godoy Cruz. And I think that's going to be a Banfield win. San Lorenzo, I think, will lose at home to Estudiantes. Um, and I will back Riber to get back to winning ways at home in presumably Independiente Stadium against Rosario Central. On Sunday, we begin at 11 o'clock in the morning with Arsenal de Sarandí versus Atlético Tucumán. I think Atletico Tucumán will win that one. Uh, Gimnasia versus Vélez, I think, is going to end in a Vélez victory. Union versus Racing. Oh, this will be interesting next week now, with two of you presumably back for recording then. Um, I'll go for an Union win, I think. Newells versus... Newell versus Boca, I think, is going to be a Boca win. Independiente versus Colón. Um, I'll go with a draw for that one. Uh, oh, these are on these last three are on Monday, by the way. Uh, Tacheres versus Lanús. I'll go for a Lanús win. And Central Córdoba versus Defensa y Justicia. I'm going for a draw. I think Defensa might come up short away from home. Um, other than Union Racing, which of course uh, pits Tony's team against Dan's team, which other fixtures are really standing out to you this weekend, Jones? I think every match of that group will be interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that's in Group 4, which the other two teams in that are Newell's and Boca. Um, I would agree there. I think the Newell's Boca has, has some good potential, given that, uh, well, Newell's really need a win after. <laughs> after getting hammered by Tacheris on, on the opening day of the Cup. Um, and ah, yeah. yeah, and we might see the debut of uh, Francis McAllister for, for Tacheris as well, which leaves um, Kevin home alone. I had missed Francis moving to Tacheris. So, yes, as you say, that uh, well done. I also missed the, sh- the joke. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I got the joke uh, a little bit yeah. late, admittedly, but I, it, yep. Um, because Kevin has uh, returned to Argentinos, that's another thing that we, I can't, I think we might have mentioned it actually very briefly, but his, his loan at Boca um, came to an end 
another bizarrely long loan, but apparently it was only a loan. Um, Did he play any minutes? Yeah, I I remember him playing a couple of matches for them shortly after he signed for them, um, and after that, I, I'm not sure how how much more he he managed, but um, he played some. Anyway, those are your predictions for this week. Um, if you are a Patreon supporter, then you'll be getting some extra content. So go over to Patreon and check that out. Um, for now, it's thank you and goodbye from Santi. Bye, guys. From Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. From English Dan. Goodbye. And from Tony. Goodbye. Oh, me. I've done that twice in a row now. I forget to say thank you and goodbye from myself and from me. Thank you and goodbye. As promised, here are the Copa Sudamericana results for the evening. Yet another Argentine side won on away goals, thanks to Union scoring uh, their first two goals ever outside Argentina, according to Tony, and getting a 2-1 win over Emelec on the night for a 2-2 aggregate draw. And, as I say, going through on away goals. Um, and then Independiente were rude enough to break the run of Argentine sides going through on away goals by winning on aggregate against Atletico Tucumán. They got a 1-1 draw in Tucumán, and having won the first leg 1-0, that means that they go through 2-1 on aggregate. Um, So I think that we might know another fixture in that case now for the next round. That means... Oh no, we still only know the three fixtures that I mentioned during the podcast at the moment. We don't know who Independiente will be playing just yet. Uh, See you next week.